I'm Mike. I'm Austin. We are the Test Drivers. And we put tech through its paces. Now, I opened our document today and saw a big header that was exciting to me, which says, switching (laughs) to the iPad Pro for real. Well, okay, so it's been a very interesting few weeks for me. You are all over the place (laughs) with devices right now. Like, in the whole time that I've known you, I've never known you to have been... You're moving backwards and forwards <laughs> in, a, in an almost unstoppable rate. So I will say at the beginning of this year, my device situation was really straightforward. I was pretty much on iPhone for my phone and I was on Windows for my computer and I had a Mac for editing. Like it was not a complicated system. Mm-hmm. I have thrown almost all of that in the garbage and I'm living a wild, wild life, my friend. And so like... I feel like at a point now you are in a place where I can't imagine many people are. Z Flip for your phone. Yes. And iPad for my laptop. (laughs) Okay, iPad for your laptop. And I assume you're still editing on the Mac? Yes, yes. So that's pretty much it. So Final Cut will keep me locked down to Mac OS until Catalina finally makes me just abandon everything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I have been seriously converted to the ipad or it was actually you know no hang on let me let me take a step back here because there's i feel like we've talked a little about this in the past but there's some context because just like when we were talking about the ipad pro and you had to spend your 15 minutes explaining why you're not a crazy person for using an ipad i feel like now i have to do the exact same thing to defend myself for this ridiculous ridiculous decision okay i have liked using the ipad for a very long time, right? I mean, I used to use like the iPad mini. And when the first iPad Pro came out, I did a video and I was like, hey, can you switch to this as your laptop? And the answer was no. However, recently when the 2018 iPad Pro came out, I started using it a little bit more. But dude, I'm telling you, this magic keyboard has converted me. That's all I needed. I needed a trackpad. Everything else is there. Is it perfect? No, but I can legitimately say for the very first time ever, I can do everything I need short of editing videos on the iPad Pro, period, full stop, no caveats. And I guess the important distinction to make at this point is you will not edit in video on your Dell XPS. Exactly. So the way, even though my my desk, quote unquote desktop is a 16-inch MacBook, that is really treated for me as a desktop, right? Like yeah. the laptop is the small device that I carry around with me, whether it be tablet, or laptop, whatever. But that's where I do things like, you know, watch video i will do some light things like so i will use like you know the ipad or the xps to jump on the server and move files around and whatnot but generally speaking i'm running now todoist through the ipad keeping up on twitter email that kind of stuff it's not really super heavy hitting tasks so that's why it's kind of easy for me because so much of what i do on a daily basis is either web-based or sort of very simple apps that are available pretty much everywhere so the actual platform i'm using isn't ultimately a huge deciding factor. I could do, I mean, I could do most of my stuff on a Chromebook if I really tried. Yeah, because that so much of what you are doing is web browser focused. There are applications that you use on these devices, but the applications are just really a convenience as opposed to the only way that you could get that work done. Exactly, exactly. So what's changed for me is not only the fact that there, of course, there is a new iPad Pro. It's the 2020. It's technically a little bit better. I mean, really, all I care about was I just wanted an LTE iPad because I made the mistake of not doing that the first time around. So other than that, I would definitely not have upgraded. But this magic keyboard, man, like you obviously have you had you have the 11 or the the 13 inch magic keyboard uh 13 so i have always liked the smaller ipad and i still stand by that but how much more i can do with this magic keyboard just with the trackpad like i don't know how you feel about this and i i assume that we're probably on the same page or i'm taking crazy pills i hate it no, no (laughs) can you imagine can you imagine (laughs) (laughs) i've moved to the dell xps now (laughs) they ruined it for me Like, this is all it took. Legit, though, there are people that, like, they're super mad about the trackpad. Like people, Yeah, yeah. They're like, my friend Federico is kind of dubbed the iPad purist. There's, like, a type of person who's just like, oh, this isn't what Steve Jobs would have wanted, you know? Mm, Yeah. No, there's no merit in this this argument. There isn't, 
but it's, you know, some people feel that way and more power to them, I guess. So the way I used to use the iPad was with the the folio keyboard and mm-hmm. the Apple Pencil. And the only reason I used the Apple Pencil was because my stupid fat finger is not an acceptable way of like selecting text or whatever, right? I preferred using the pencil because it was a more precise way of Definitely. making the fine selections that I want. But the touchpad completely does away with that. I don't even, I, I haven't connected the pencil to my iPad in weeks. I don't care about it. All I needed was literally a trackpad to tap and to click and to drag things like every other computer on the face of the planet. That's it. That's all the iPad was missing. Now I'm happy. Mike, I'm, all, I'm, I'm happy. It's, it's the end. I'm switching the iPad and uh, no one can talk me out of it. I just want to state for the record, like for listeners, commenters, I had nothing to do with this, right? I've had people contacting me saying that I'm polluting you. I had nothing to do with this. Uh, We had not even really decided on what we were going to talk about for this episode. I opened up our show document and Austin had written all these notes and about him switching to the iPad. I have had zero input on this decision from Austin Evans, uh, signed Mike Hurley, 2020. (laughs) Okay, so... Before we go so far over the deep end, which I feel like I immediately launched us in today, I will say that this is actually part of a bigger overall thing in my life right now. Okay. Okay. Obviously, the world is going through a lot of changes. Hey, look, we all need our ways to cope, right? Like- <laughs> yeah, you, you're not totally wrong. To me, and okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll talk about. It. To, to me, it feels like time to make some somewhat radical changes in my life when it comes to technology. Okay. I've been making videos now for over 11 years. In fact, it was a few weeks ago was the 11-year anniversary of the channel. I've made a lot of videos. I've used a lot of different things. And I have, for almost that entire 11 years, lived a very happy, safe life with uh, the devices and the software and the, the things that I knew and loved, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that stuff. But I, if I'm being completely real, I've gotten bored in a way that I don't think I've ever gotten bored with technology before. I feel like in those early days when I was doing tech videos, I was so excited to try out that new Android phone or this weird new Chromebook or whatever the case is. Like that was so exciting to me. But now it's kind of become sort of routine. I'm like, okay, cool, get the thing, run the benchmark, do this, do this, write the thing, move on. Like it's just, it's sort of a process I could kind of do in my sleep. Yeah, it's become... Because there is an incessant, like, like continued churn to this, right? Like, yes. Every company is on a schedule because that's what they need. So you are inherently put into their schedules, right? Like, this company releases their phone then, this company releases their phone then. So you can, like, bang, 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 bang. You know what's happening. And after a certain period of time, and especially, like, you know, for someone who has as many smartphones come their way, like, if we're just looking at smartphones or laptops, actually, I think they're both pretty similar. Like, mm. you never actually really get enough time with them to, to, to fully kind of wrap your head around it before the next one. Exactly. See, that's the key, right? So it's easy to do a review of a thing and I'll enjoy it and I'll use it. But there's always that next thing coming down. And don't get me wrong, because I use the Z Flip and because I use the iPad as my two primary computers, it doesn't mean that when the new thing comes out, they both get tossed in the garbage and I switch over to it, right? Like there's always some rotation between like what I'm using for testing and when I take home to, you know, write notes on the couch or whatever with. Yeah. But you've maybe gotten stuck into, or have maybe gotten stuck into the pattern of, over the last couple of years at least, my iPhone is my main phone, and then I use a laptop, it's probably a Windows laptop. Exactly. And now you're just like, ah, forget it, let's, <laughs> let's do a complete flip on those two things. But I understand, because like, you, this is what you love to do, it's what we both love to do, is to do talk about technology you want to continually pay attention to and get i'm about to get very metaphorical here and probably in a way that's not necessary but like with any relationship uh be it a friendship a romantic relationship or even a relationship to the things that you enjoy you have to continually put effort and time into them to make sure that everyone's happy right absolutely and so for you with technology it's like you can keep going through these typical motions if you want to, but that's what makes people jaded. Oh my God. Yeah. So you are absolutely on point, dude. Like I just, 
look, I love what I do, right? Like, I don't want to make this something about I'm having my midlife crisis of tech, right? Like, it's not, I mean, it actually kind of sounds like that the more I talk, but it, it's, a, it's just about enjoying the stuff. I don't want to be in the place where I am a complete robot of here's the thing, I do the thing, here's the video, and I move on, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like I've sort of fallen into that. But obviously, with everything that's happened over the last, you know, three, four months or whatever, it's kind of like opened me up a little bit to some new and weird ideas, right? So for example, the idea of working from home. I used to work from home all the time. Like that was like literally like I didn't have a studio or an office or anything. Like I had a bedroom that I had all my lights and cameras in, right? And I would just shoot there. But I haven't done that in years. And when I started working from home, I was like, oh, you know what? Yeah, I'm just going to have this Windows desktop sitting here. I was like, you know what? This isn't so bad. Hmm. What about that iPad over there? Oh, what, what about this uh, this Z Flip? Like, I started really the wheels started turning almost kind of without me really even thinking about it. And now I'm sitting here a few months later, looking around, go, I just like thrown a bomb in the middle of all of my devices. <laughs> Who I'm just, am I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I'm all over the place. But there, I feel like there are. It, it to me, it feels like it's a good refreshing time, right? So with the iPad. I've always wanted to use the iPad as a more regular device. And I've had like, not only just counting like that first iPad Pro that I did the video on that I tried to switch to, but pretty regularly every six months, year, year and a half, whether it's new hardware, new software, whatever the case is, I've sort of flirted with spending more time as the with the iPad as like a real computer, right? Mm-hmm. Like I remember there are trade shows that I've been to or like events or whatever. I just took the iPad. I remember sitting in a, a sea of Windows and Macs typing on my iPad, like going like, oh yeah, look at me, I'm so cool. And like Linus making fun of me, right? Mm-hmm. But now it feels like something has fundamentally changed. With the iPad Pro, when it came out with the 2018, that hardware was and still is incredible, right? Between the 120 hertz display, the fact that it has those killer quad speakers, just the simple fact that iOS and, well, I guess iPadOS now has gotten so much better. I mean, dude, Safari finally lets me do everything with the trackpad. So I used to have so many problems with, obviously before iPadOS, Safari was just like, it was a joke. That was like sort of the really biggest limiting factor for me. Mm -hmm. But now that not only iPadOS Safari is so much better at emulating real like desktop sites, but I have that trackpad support for those weird edge cases where like, oh, I can't scroll on this page because the touch response doesn't work with it, right? Like those sort of weird issues have, I would say 98% been completely eliminated and there's no longer any kind of real deal breaker in using this as my daily device that like combination of the full desktop safari and the cursor support like the point of support are a big big thing and will be a big big thing for a lot of people because if you've had something that has been stopping you from being able to use this device those walls are being taken down more because you have all the apps you want And lots of the services, lots of the products that you will use have apps. But where they don't, as we said earlier, you'll probably be able to get it done on on the web. And the thing that is really important to continually remind people, these two things, trackpad support and desktop Safari, are on every iPad. Yeah. It's not just the iPad Pro. And like there are companies like Logitech who are making keyboards with trackpads for the non-pro iPad line. So you can get all of this with a much, much lower barrier of entry than the like admittedly unbelievably cool and amazing Magic Keyboard. But you don't have to go that level if that's not the iPad that you have. So uh, I guess we kind of stumbled into this one. I was going to talk about this a little bit later in the show, but um, I actually was thinking about that exact thing as a potential test driver's challenge. Oh boy. If we drop our iPads switch to the base model 10.2 iPad with one of those Logitech keyboards and see if we could live our lives. You, you jumped, the, I was like, that was, I had this really cool like outro plan for the show. I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to surprise Mike. Like, hey, test driver challenge. I was come up with some too, like, cheesy theme music and everything. And I was going to challenge you to use the iPad. But unfortunately, you've just stumbled into it. So now it's awkward if I do that. Let's put this on the, uh, uh, <laughs> the list of things to do in the not too distant future. How about that? I, I, that sounds like code for we'll never do this and i don't want to ever talk i about it want again. <laughs> to do it but like here that's none of that stuff is shipping within the next month oh okay okay i'll give you that let's i want to follow up but you you were 100 right the ipad pro and the magic keyboard are obscenely expensive together mm-hmm. so something i've been spending some time with recently is the surface go 
not exactly, I would say, a iPad Pro competitor. Like in a lot of ways, it's not as, I mean, it doesn't have the same like high refresh rate display. It's not as powerful. Like it's almost kind of a little bit of a weird step between something like the base iPad and the Pro. I mean, really, it feels like it, what it's what the Air should be or something like that. But there's a lot to be said about how expensive the iPad Pro is with that ridiculous keyboard, right? I mean, $300 for an iPad keyboard? Like, what? What? Like, hmm? It is a lot. As someone who is in a fortunate position where I get to take a look at all this stuff and review it and everything, if you can put the price aside for just a second, it makes a really powerful device and a really well-designed device. Because what you effectively do is you give it the missing components of it being a laptop. So you have increased adjustability from viewing angles. You have uh, pass-through power built into the case. So you don't. You can still have other peripherals plugged into the USB-C port on the iPad if you want to, or none at all, but it's in a more convenient location. You have a desktop, uh, so a laptop class keyboard, like full laptop laptop class keyboard. It's effectively the same keyboard that's in Apple's new laptops, which everyone agrees is really good. Uh, the trackpad is really nice. Um, it's very clicky. It's clicky across the entire trackpad, which I cannot believe there are still trackpad shipping that aren't. Did you see the iFixit teardown of how I the did. mechanism? It's yeah. so weird. But like, I, I'm almost kind of curious why they didn't just go with the standard style like Mac, like obviously non-clicky touchpad. But realistically, I like the feeling of the physical click versus the sort of the simulated click that we have on the Mac. I'm almost impressed. I will say I have certainly run into some minor issues with switching to the iPad. One thing is actually more to do with the Magic Keyboard. I miss the ability to have function keys above the number row, right? Like being able to... Okay, you're a function key person. Like I, th- th- I think this isn't a problem, uh, but there are. I think there is a distinct camp here. You either care or you don't care. I don't care. So I was using the the standard keyboard folio case for a mm-hmm. little while, mm-hmm. and then actually just randomly before they announced the Magic Keyboard, I ended up getting the Bridge Keyboard that I know yep. that you use, and I found myself really liking that because I could really easily pause my music or, or like having some ability to sort of really quickly do that versus like going up to control center or swiping over to Spotify or whatever is legitimately really nice. But I also understand given the way that the magic keyboard is designed. I mean, sometimes, and especially I've gotten a little bit better now, but especially when I first got the magic keyboard, I would find my fingers would go too far forward and almost get jammed underneath the iPad screen because it's sort of, Mm -hmm. it's sort of hovering like that two, three inches above. Mm -hmm. So I get that that certainly was not something that they could have fit. And I would not have sacrificed, you know, another inch or whatever on the, on the trackpad, but something else that's been, I don't want to say necessarily a an issue on the iPad, but something that I've really appreciated is the fact that I have no longer found any of these sort of use cases that used to hold me back, holding me back with the trackpad. So one of the things that was always a big issue for me was uploading videos to YouTube from the iPad. Now, previously it would work, like you could upload the video physically, but there's a lot more to it than just uploading the video, right? So when it comes to uploading captions to a video, when it comes to adding like end screens, writing out descriptions, like there's a lot of sort of backend stuff. And the way that YouTube system is, is it's, it's sort of, they've been modernizing it and they've been updating it, but there's a lot of like really, really old code and really sort of chunky old sort of like pages that you have to go through. And then you have like some of the nice new like YouTube studio stuff. And before without a trackpad, I couldn't upload captions, for example, like the page just wouldn't scroll. It just didn't work. And I still have some issues with uh, when I'm doing like end screens on videos where like the player, it's like under another layer and like the iPad browser's not rendering it right. I have minor issues, but thankfully all these minor issues, I can like pause it for a second and it pops up or whatever. It's, nothing has been a deal breaker. And that's really what I was looking for out of this experience. Yeah, I have found that like there are, you end up with some weird edge cases in some places, but the trackpad support has made those even fewer fewer. Yeah. Right, because like when they initially put the desktop Safari in place, there was still some funny things you could end up getting yourself caught in. Like I was able to do the exact thing that you're talking about, right? Like adding end screens and changing durations, but it was very inconsistent to do it with your finger because Apple's doing some really wild stuff with the desktop Safari um, implementation where 
because you know the obviously the touch targets are very different in size right on the on the web than they are in iPad apps right because your finger is a very imprecise pointing device yeah so the t- they're doing a lot of like analysis of the pages to try and guess what exactly you were trying to do and there's still elements of that with the trackpad cursor stuff anyway because it, the, the cursor is larger like the actual what, what you're clicking is larger because it really is em- emulating your finger but my understanding is apple during the beta process and since they're like paying attention to the way that certain websites work making the changes that they need to but you know yes you being able to use a, a cursor for that stuff and a trackpad for that stuff is much more reliable than trying to use your finger to do it yeah, and honestly, the issues that I run into, like you said, are, are pretty minor, right? So uh, Google Sheets is one that it gets a little weird when I'm scrolling through like really longer sort of documents or longer sort of spreadsheets. You can see that there's definitely something going on with the way that either Apple or Safari, whatever whatever's happening, where I can scroll with my finger and it works fine. I start scrolling with the trackpad and the entire page tries to move. Like you can see that there's yeah. some disconnect there, but it's really like those are very minor things. And if it happens like for half a second, I just move my finger up swipe a little bit and it's just done. Like it's not like back in the earlier days where I'm just like, I can literally not physically click or swipe this thing. I'm stuck. I have to go grab a computer. It is fair to say Google, they are not very good uh, citizens of iOS. And I understand why, you know, Google are massive. I don't even think it's much of an argument to say that Google's online services or like their, their, tools like their desktop like so like their document tools their spreadsheet tools that kind of stuff much more important right like google docs and google sheets vastly more used than pages and numbers Mm -hmm. so you know google's trying to do its thing and apple's like we would love it if you did it a little bit differently and instead of worrying about your own page rendering system to make sure that real-time collaboration can occur that you just kind of threw that out there and paid attention to what we want you to do instead so like i can understand why from their perspective it's a little bit like well you maybe need us more than we need you here like you know they're, they're just weird back and forth between them like i know as well that companies that have their own rendering systems for text it's going to take them a while. Like Microsoft have committed to upgrading Word to support the new trackpad, but they're not going to have it done until the fall. Which makes sense. I'm sure it's a lot of work because you're right. So much custom code is here. Yep. I-, I get the impression that if you are a company who kind of relies on sort of more of the native iOS way of doing things, it's not crazy difficult and i know that I've already seen a fair few apps already start to support. Like I know Spark recently got an update for it, Yeah. but the thing that's which has been nice for me is that there are almost no apps that I use that actually natively support it, and it's still totally fine, right? Like it still works. It maybe doesn't work as perfect as it could, but it still works, right? Because what they've done is where an application isn't explicitly supporting it, or they have just basically replaced your finger with the cursor, like, and that's the way you would want it to be done. Because then it doesn't matter, because to the application that's receiving the input. They just don't see it as anything different. And it's really interesting to contrast that with something like the Surface Go, which I've been the last week or two spending sort of time equally splitting between iPad and working Mm. with the Surface because it's almost the exact opposite on Windows and that Windows is such a keyboard trackpad first or mouse first sort of operating system that while yes i can certainly touch and swipe for things on the windows side it's almost like okay cool if i want to scroll i can use my finger to emulate the cursor but you very much get the impression that even after all these years since touch support was really thoroughly implemented in windows 8 that it's it's fine but on windows i am 99 percent of the time using the keyboard and the touchpad yeah, I actually had a question for you about this because I don't really have much if at uh, 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 all really experience with the Surface products. And I will typically see it, I've seen it some videos about the Surface Go where people talk about it of being like, this is a real laptop replacement because it runs yeah. full Windows. Um, so if you, especially if you're coming from the Windows space, this might be better for you than, a, than an iPad Pro. And that makes complete sense to me. This episode of The Test Drivers is brought to you by Modern Workplace, a podcast from Microsoft. I love finding new podcasts to listen to. I've added a bunch to my rotation. 
this year. I've been listening to lots of different things, things that are changing my interests. And one of the great things about podcasts is there is definitely something for you, no matter what you're into. If you're looking for a new show to listen to, Modern Workplace is a monthly podcast that discusses digital transformation and the future of productivity. Each episode brings you access to business and technology leaders who are creating the future. Each show has a focused topic, a deeper conversation with a Microsoft corporate vice president, plus related news and updates. And just so you have an idea of what to expect, there are some of the topics that you might find on the show, stuff that's in previous episodes, things like AI and machine learning and how that's affecting work, remote work, and the art of teamwork. Um, I listened to an episode today, which is really interesting to hear how Microsoft as a company is handling the move to working from home at the moment as a massive organization, but also as the company responsible for creating a bunch of products that many people are using to get their work done remotely. It was really interesting to get the insight that came from this episode. You should go and check it out for yourself. Just search for Modern Workplace wherever you get your podcasts. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-W-O-R-K-P-L-A-C-E, Modern Workplace. Or there's a link in the show notes where you can just go click and check it out for yourself. Our thanks to Modern Workplace from Microsoft for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. But one of the things that I see is, right, like the iPad is the best tablet that you can buy, period. Yes. Uh, but then, and then you add a keyboard to it and a trackpad to it, and you end up with, for many people, a passable laptop. Yeah. And, but I wonder if this works in the other way that, like, the Surface is, you know, as good a laptop as any other from, like, what a laptop can be. But how good of a tablet is it? when you take the keyboard and trackpad away. Not great. I mean, <laughs> you take your laptop that you use at home, chop off the keyboard, and give it a touchscreen. I mean, that's really what it is. Because, like, is, what is Windows doing? Like, does it, does it go into a touch mode at all? There, uh, okay, so there is a tablet mode. Uh-huh. There are things that it will do to optimize things, but it's very much like... It's wind. It's it's literally just the opposite of what iPad is doing, right? Where it's like right. iPad is using the touchpad to emulate touch, whereas Windows is using touch to emulate the trackpad. Does that make sense? So yeah, so it's that does seem worse to me, it, because your finger emulating the cursor, it's the wrong way around because the cursor is precise and your finger is imprecise. Where what Apple is doing is taking something which is precise, which is the cursor but pretending it's a finger. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the way to do it. Mm. So, I mean, the Surface Go... So I guess we could talk a little bit about the, the device in general, right? So it's a $400 tablet with some asterisks. So I used to give Microsoft a lot of grief about this because none of the surfaces or at least none of the surface tablets ever ship with the keyboards and i feel like without a doubt i've never used a surface where i would recommend you to buy the the tablet portion without also getting the keyboard which is typically a hundred 130 dollar extra cost right yeah but i will say in a world where Apple sells a $300, $350 keyboard replacement for their iPad, suddenly $100 doesn't seem like it's that crazy, especially when you look at something like the the Logitech option for the iPad Air and the standard iPad. That's also in the $150 range. Like It's kind of very much become the standard for if you want to get a sort of tablet, laptop hybrid, you're going to have to spend another $100, $150. The Surface Go is... It's a decent tablet. I mean, there's a lot going for it, right? So going from the previous generation Surface Go to the the Go 2. It's like a big, like big improvement, right? Yeah. It's So the thing that really jumps out to me is performance. So the Surface Go lives in a sort of weird place where it has to be underneath the Surface Pro, right? Obviously, it's smaller. It's a 10 or now it's 10.5 inch display as opposed to, I think the Surface Pro is like 12, almost 13 inch. So it's, it's, it's a significantly smaller device, but it also has to fit underneath it in price because the thing is the surface pro starts at 750 dollars which means that there's not a lot of space for the surface go to live in and one of the ways that they've hit that lower price point is with performance so the first generation surface go had one processor it was a pentium processor and it was slow mike it was so slow like i liked that first surface go and it's still something that was 
easy to recommend for like a, a kid to play Minecraft and to sort of learn Windows and have like their own sort of first laptop. But the processor was so slow, it really impacted the entire performance because it just everything just felt like it took forever. I mean, loading websites, whatever. I mean, it was significantly slower than even like your phone or something. Mm. Now you can get a Surface Go with an upgraded Core M3 processor, which is not really that exciting, but it is so much better. But that's starting to get quite expensive then though, right? Like <laughs> it's not a four hundred dollar tablet anymore. That comes with the Intel Pentium four four two five Y, whatever that is, with four gigabytes of RAM and sixty four gigabytes of storage. So it's like EMMC storage, which is very slow. It's not even a full oh. SSD. You have to bump up to one twenty eight oh. to get a full speed SSD. That's not a good deal, that four hundred dollars. Because this is the like I, I Everyone, every video I've seen is like, oh, you get it for 400 I have a more respect no. out one. But like that $400 seems like you shouldn't buy that. Like if even the storage is slow. So if you're buying a Surface Go, and sort of here's really the major problem, you're needing to spend for a Surface Go that I would recommend, you need to spend upwards of $700. Is that before the keyboard? That is including keyboard. All of these should come with keyboard. You should buy a keyboard like... I can get away with like an iPad if you want to buy it without a keyboard. Like it, it's a good enough tablet. It can kind of work depending on what you want to do. You should not buy a Surface without a keyboard, period, the okay. end. Like there's no world unless you're someone who maybe uses the dock a lot and just uses a tablet really lightly and you have like another keyboard. But this device needs a keyboard of some kind. Okay. So yes, the Surface Go starts out at $400 but it only has four gigs of RAM and slow storage. Now you can upgrade it for $550 to eight gigs of RAM and a 128 gig legitimate SSD. That's great, but you still have basically the exact same processor from the Surface Go. The first generation, it's slow. It's, it's just no good. So you need to spend $630 to get the Core M3 model, which does make a big difference, right? Once you jump up, jump up to that Core M3, it is just as fast as a lot of sort of low to mid-range laptops, right? Like it's not going to be anything insane, but unlike the base model where I'm just sitting there waiting and waiting, it just feels so slow. This feels responsive, quick. I can use it alongside an iPad and it doesn't feel like I'm losing a lot, but then you have to spend another $100, $130 on the keyboard and you're really quickly getting up into... Uh, maybe not quite iPad Pro territory, especially when you factor in the Magic Keyboard, but it is $400 not happening, right? You're almost double that once you're really out the door and you're getting kind of dangerously close to the full Surface Pro, which is where I think there's a little bit of a disconnect between the pricing and what you're really getting with this device. Okay. Hmm. So, because I guess I don't really, I don't even really know what iPad to compare this to. I guess the the smaller iPad Pro, right? Maybe? Well, Sort of. So the thing is, the iPad Pro is, it kind of outclasses it, right? So like, yeah, in in size. So the Surface Go 2 now has a 10.5 inch display. So it's a little bit bigger. Previously, it had a 10 inch. So the bezels have just shrank a little bit. Uh, It's a high resolution display, but it's only 60 hertz. So it's certainly not as smooth as what you get on the iPad. It does have dual stereo speakers, which sound good. But again, not as good as the iPad Pro. Um, it does actually have, I will give them props. It has a really good uh, front-facing camera. And it has now stereo microphones on the Surface Go. I've used it for a couple of like video calls recently. And the quality is really solid. Especially because one of the things that still irritates me with the iPad when I'm using it as a laptop. Is the camera is over to the left as opposed to being on the top. So I'm always looking like off to the side of the screen. Right. Not a big deal, but there's certainly some advantages on on the Surface side. But I feel like it's almost closer to something like the iPad Air in a lot of senses, just mm-hmm. because uh, the iPad Air, though, is tough. And honestly, this is sort of the thought process I had when I was trying to make my video on like what would I even compare this to. The iPad Air just doesn't make sense, right? I mean, the base iPad is almost as good in every way, short of the screen's a little bit less sort of, it's not sort of laminated and you don't have quite as much power. Well, the iPad Air was the previous iPad Pro. Yes. The base iPad has gotten so many upgrades, right? So yeah, mm-hmm. it still only has an A10, which honestly is still more powerful than something like the Pentium in the in the base Surface Go. But now that you have support for like the keyboard and you obviously can use stuff like the pencil, I don't see much of a reason to really upgrade to the iPad Air, especially considering that that base iPad is regularly on sale for as little as like $250, which is literally half the price. Yeah, they've made it They made it trickier. Like, honestly, the iPad Air now is effectively like the MacBook Air was before. Slightly larger screen, 
it has a better processor. It's running an A12, where the iPad is an A10. Right. Um, you can put more storage in it. That's mm-hmm. it. That's not worth basically double the price. Like, I just, there's no world in which that makes sense. You really, in my opinion, unless you want to buy an iPad mini, which, of course, that's a very sort of different device, you either buy the base iPad or you go up to the iPad Pro. I don't feel like there's a, a healthy middle ground right now. And the Surface Go slots somewhere in that sort of non-existent middle ground as far as I'm concerned. But also, I think it's a different device, right? I think the Surface Go makes sense if you want to give it as a device to a kid, right? Especially if someone who, like, if you need to use Windows for school, you want to play some games, or honestly, you just want to have a little bit more of an experience of like a quote-unquote real computer and learn Windows with. Surface Go is solid. But the thing for me is I actually really like the form factor. Right. Like I actually really like being able to use, especially considering I've been using the iPad a lot. I like something that's like that 10 inch sort of tablet form factor with a detachable keyboard. It's actually something I really like. Right. It's easy to carry around. It's lightweight. And especially as a tablet, I've never really been a big fan of using a 12, 13 inch tablet as a tablet. Right. Like it's just too big. It's too unwieldy. I feel like something yeah, too big for like tablet use. Right. Like that, that, that 10 inch size around 10 inch size that the original iPad was even was very like that's kind of the sweet spot it's manageable yeah it's totally manageable so that's why i find i have really conflicting thoughts on the service go it's not wildly mispriced i, I think mm. it's uh 400 it just is is a little bit misleading i just think that no one really would be happy with the base model with no keyboard right it's it's a starting price that they want to be able to tick off right but yeah you'd well, I have a question for you, actually. Like, even if you get to the six hundred dollar version or seven hundred dollars, because you need to have a keyboard, right? Will it run everything? Like, will all apps run on it? Yes. And so, like, you could use Photoshop on this. You could, yes. So it okay. is a it's a dual core processor, right? Um, it's similar, somewhat similar to what you would find in like a lot of like older fanless laptops. Um, so think like the same level of performance as like a twelve inch MacBook from a couple years ago. Like that's kind of the rough sort of space. It's certainly not bad, and because it is a full Intel processor, you've got sixty four bit support. Pretty much anything will work. Photoshop might be a little bit slow, but I think it would be honestly just fine for a right. quick edit here or there as long as you have a little bit of patience and obviously for things like video uh, as far as things like web browsing all that stuff now is it going to be doable it's going to feel fairly snappy right mm-hmm. i mean you're not going to want to edit a video on this you're not going to want to do a lot of gaming short of something that's a little bit lighter like minecraft but it, it is definitely capable of doing anything that a standard laptop would do and a very different form factor and even when you consider the fact that you have to upgrade it and you can get also you can get it with lte by the way which is a nice. nice sort of bonus i think it looks really cool like a really nice compact and capable computer like if i was primarily in the windows world this is probably what i would be using in place of my ipad every day and you would have no problems with it right so it's been funny because obviously the surface go the design has not changed and ultimately the the surface design right with the sort of infinitely adjustable kickstand and the magnetic keyboard has been a staple for many years and honestly Mm. i feel like it's kind of there's been some some cues taken by the iPad with a magic keyboard, although it goes about it in a slightly different way. But it's interesting to use the Surface Go on the iPad side by side because the magic keyboard on the iPad is obviously heavy and you have the ability, you know, for the iPad to float. It's cool, but you don't have the hinge, which I like the sort of the the stability of what you get on the iPad. But when you have the Surface Go with that hinge that can go all the way down, something to the iPad, I still feel like I want to push it farther back a lot of the time. I could put that Surface Go pretty much flat down on a table and I push the stand down, keyboard and trackpad are all completely still usable. Mm. There's certainly advantages to that. And one of the other things I like is when I'm using the Surface Go as a tablet, taking off the keyboard and I can hold it with the stand. So I kick the kickstand basically directly back and I use it as a handle to walk around and like watch video or something. It's legitimately really nice. Do you find the kickstand comfortable and stable in your lap? Do you ever use it in your lap? It's okay. It requires some flexibility, I suppose. Like, you, you need to kind of have all, it right. All devices do. Like, even the Magic Keyboard, like, you can lose its, its like, weight stability and it can fall over on itself. Yeah. But I, I can imagine that it is still more comfortable, like, it's closer to a laptop. Because the actual 
surface area, no pun intended, is extend <laughs> is extended, right? Because you've got the keyboard, then you've got like the angle of the the kickstand goes out further, right? So you've kind of got to make sure you've you're in a uh, you've you've got to be sat in a certain way, I would imagine, to get it all to you work do. out. Okay. I actually think if I'm rating laptop ability, a cert- uh, a standard laptop definitely king no doubt right like you've got the weight in the right spot the mm-hmm. distribution is correct you can move the screen i would actually say though that i like the ipad with the magic keyboard more than the surface mostly because the surface so with the magic keyboard a lot of the weight is actually in the keyboard right so it sort of naturally rests at least to some degree it certainly can get a little bit sort of top heavy at some points but the thing is the surface all the weight is really on the tablet right the keyboard weighs very little and it doesn't do a lot for you you really the you could take off the keyboard and you're having the exact same sort of issue of the 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 way that the weight distribution is done how does all of this compare to like the surface book Oh, okay. Well, that's funny you mentioned that. Because <laughs> I got confused the, a couple of days ago. I went to Microsoft's website and I was like, I didn't know that the screen came off the Surface Laptop, but the Surface Laptop and the Surface Book, they're different <laughs> things, right? Like I, I get, got very confused for a minute there. I had to kind of wrap my head around that one. But the Surface Book, I can't. when I see this product, right? Like I'm looking at their page now. I don't know why anybody buys a regular Surface when this is available because oh. on pa- like when I look at this imagery, this looks like a vastly superior product. Mm, okay. So I will say everything I'm about to say with a caveat that I have not yet looked at the Surface Book 3. Okay. I have one. It's, it's, I'm going to be doing a video on it soon, but I, at this very second, I have not started testing it. You've spent most of your time with the Go, right? Because I assume you get yes. multiple products from, from Microsoft. I've, I've had about a week and a half with the Surface Go. The Surface Book literally showed up yesterday, and I have not sort of unboxed it okay. yet. Um, but I have spent time with not only the original Surface Book, but also the Surface Book 2, both of which very similar hardware-wise. Okay. So... Uh, the Surface Book is a really unique product. So first of all, Microsoft deserve a lot of props for the mechanical engineering that makes this thing work, right? With the Surface Book, what you're getting is the tablet portion, which is detachable, has a lot of the traditional computery bits, right? There is a battery, even though it's fairly small. You have like your processor, there's a headphone jack, you have the display. But a lot of the other stuff that makes it more of a powerful device is in the actual keyboard, right? So it's all aluminum, or actually I think they use magnesium rather. They have uh, most of the battery in the bottom. They have uh, the dedicated graphics in the bottom. You have all of your ports. Yeah, yeah. This is much different to what I thought this product was then. It's more like a dock. Laptop, yes. right? Because it's it's like yep. the the that old Mac, the Duo dock, where like if if you could have it, but once you plugged it, the laptop into a dock, it had more power available to it. Mm-hmm. Huh. So the Surface Book, you can use it as a tablet, right? Like you literally, uh, you go, do it inside Windows, or you can press a little button on the keyboard. It takes a second because not only does Windows need to like turn off any apps or like remove anything that's taking advantage of the graphics but also the device actually tells the keyboard to release and so it has this really cool little mechanical sound where literally it's physically detaching itself from the keyboard i will say service books have had more than their fair share of issues on the screens being stuck them not detaching right like they've had a little bit of a of a bumpy start the two was a lot better than the one but the one was a little bit on the rough side i imagine that like this isn't just a mechanical thing from a latch perspective it's because the machine has to be ready to be detached from the graphics or whatever right like yeah they they can't allow you to just pop and unpop this thing because you're going to cause significant problems so there's a button on the keyboard which you press to detach or you can do it from inside windows but you press it it doesn't just attach you press it it waits it tries to figure out okay i'm closing apps i'm doing this then when it gets the all clear you hear the little click and then you can Hmm. uh, pick it up okay so the the actual tablet portion like I said, has like the computer bits, right? So you have like your CPU and everything like that's the, the part that's running Windows. So you can use it as a tablet. The problem, though, is that it's not really meant to be used as a tablet full time. So it has no ports, right? It literally has a headphone jack. That's it. So not only can you not really do much with it as a tablet besides just sort of like hand it around as like a presentation, but also the battery is not 
particularly beefy. I would say, and I'm completely making this up. I don't know the actual number. I don't think they they necessarily published this, but I would say maybe 20%, maybe 30% of the battery is in the actual screen portion. The vast majority of the battery is actually in the keyboard. So you're not going to really want to use it as a tablet all day long. It gets very much like, oh, I'm going to hit this button, show this as as a presentation or hand it to a client or whatever. And then when I'm done watching my video or whatever, I'm going to drop it back on, right? It's not really meant to be used as a tablet first. It's a laptop where you can take the screen off, but that doesn't then become a tablet in the way that you think of a tablet to be. Like, it's not yeah. It's not the same as taking a Surface and detaching it from the keyboard. We've been talking about all these weird-ass things with, like, you have the iPad, which is emulating touch, and you do this, and you have the well, Surface, where you well, move this. I think it's this actually, this is interesting because these are three products that, on the face of it, so you've got like the iPad Pro with Magic Keyboard, the Surface Go, and the Surface Book 3, even though two of them are made by the same company. I mean, yes, let's throw the regular iPad in there, right? It's just to balance it all out. These are four products that ostensibly look like they are the same thing, but they are coming at this from four very different places. Yes. Where like the iPad Pro is a very powerful tablet that you really should be using now with one of the keyboard products, either the smart keyboard or the magic keyboard. It really makes the product whole. You don't need a trackpad. So much better with a trackpad. You don't need a trackpad, but you should be using it within a keyboard most of the time. Right. Then you've got the iPad, which is like, no, that's a tablet. Maybe attach a keyboard to it if you want to. Then you've got the Surface Go, which is like, this is a little tablet that you definitely should use a keyboard with. And you've got the Surface Book, which is like, that is a laptop but you can take the screen off for a little bit if you want to. So, like, whilst on the face of it, they look very (laughs) similar. They are four different takes to solve a problem of replacing the traditional laptop. Yeah. It's it's a really interesting world. The Surface Book has probably been the least exciting of all these products to me for a couple of reasons it, it's it's more of a powerful device right so especially right. when you have the dedicated like graphics and whatnot um and there's a lot that you can do i mean even with the standard surface with like the surface connector right it's magnetic like old magsafe used to be and there are like surface docks that you can use that will give you a ton of ports and you know, usb-c yeah. and ethernet and all this kind of stuff like there are legitimate uses to this but uh, the thing with the surface book that's always kind of kept me from really loving it is the hinge as cool as it is doesn't fold even close to flat this thing is chunky when it's closed because essentially it's almost like like a spine where like kind of opens and closes and it's incredibly starting when you're opening it it's no problem when you're using the device but when you close up and you put it in a bag it's thick and there's a lot of room there's an air gap right oh it's it's a substantial air gap and i get it this hinge and i've seen actually i've been to the surface sort of lab where they've actually shown off like how they do this hinge it's incredible right it costs them a lot of money to make this hinge it's an incredible feat of engineering but ultimately i want a laptop tablet whatever the case is to fold flat and be easy to carry and this is just a little bit thicker than i feel comfortable with certainly an ideal breaker but that's one of the reasons why i've never really loved that is just because it doesn't feel like it's quite what i'm looking for out of a tablet or hmm. laptop i guess it's the same thing at this point <laughs> yeah this the, the surface book seems like a middle ground product for people that aren't ready to let go of their traditional laptop yet yeah I mean, of course, it has a touchscreen, right? Yeah. You have all the the tablety, surfacey kind of things that you want, and it's more powerful than pretty much any surface out there, short of something like the Studio, right? I mean, you're getting mm-hmm. real performance. There's even a Quadro option now, so you could use this. And I feel like they are not doing that for no reason. I'm sure there are like graphic artists and you know people who are modeling like oil fields or whatever who really want this extra power. <laughs> this very particular thing you pulled out there. Because this is one of the confusing things about CPUs and graphics cards to people that don't know what they're buying. Yep. The assumption is just like the, the, the more money you spend, the higher the numbers, the more you'll get out of it, which is true. But there is a diminishing returns problem at a certain point where like you can't, with a lot of consumer or even prosumer applications, like a video editing software, you're just not going to see the benefit, right? Like you're just not going to get it. All right, I have taken us way off topic now with the Surface Book. That one has just been throwing it back in there. I want to wrap up on the Surface Go. 
I see a, a this is a very interesting product. And again, like I think that the wrong the wrong way to look at the Surface Go is like look how cheap this Surface is because as we've established at this point, like that that is the wrong way to look at it because it's not the usefulness when when there is still like if you look at it as a $700 product of like well, this is Microsoft's answer to the regular size iPad Pro. That is an interesting product. Like it doesn't have to you know it doesn't have to be cheap. It doesn't have to be a price thing here. Like because if you want an iPad Pro, like a portable iPad Pro like device, but you want to run Windows, you want to run full Windows, full Windows applications, like this could be that for you. And I think that is I think a more interesting, more compelling, more satisfying product than the cheapest version of this, which may end up being an unsatisfying product for the people that buy it. Mm-hmm. And I and I understand why Microsoft do that, but if they continue to do this stuff and they push it at the lowest price points... It's not a good experience. People will get upset about the product that they have, and I think that, that is, that's an issue, where like really, what they should be doing is, at that low end, they should be ARM-based machines because i mean and and that seems to be the future they're going to but like that makes more sense to me right like if you have a an arm processor in there because you can you can squeeze out a bit more power and efficiency in that product but you need windows to come along with it and that's going to be that problem it's a weird choice to stick with intel for the surface go specifically because when you look at it compared to the surface pro it's not like you can see how much if the Surface Pro didn't exist, the Go could be a better device. Right. But mm. you feel like it really is being sort of handicapped. It can't be as expensive. It can't be as powerful. And because you've got that Pentium processor, which is just so slow, like it just it feels so slow that it doesn't make a lot of sense to necessarily pitch it with like a Core M3. Right. Because I don't think they could fit that in a $400 price point, but they might be able to fit something like what Qualcomm has been working on. But the problem is, is that ARM on Windows is okay. It's not great, though. A lot of apps are are usable, but a little slow. There's a lot of compatibility issues with as far as it might technically work, but it's running in a much slower sort of emulation style mode. So it's it's a bit of a mess. But I feel like you're right. If they had the Surface Go 3 running an ARM processor with LTE built in, you don't have to pay the extra $100 like you do now. Because you're right, Surface Go would make total sense as an ARM processor like it would just it would battery life would be better performance would certainly be better than that base model and it would help kind of push the entire windows ecosystem forward so you're right that would make a lot of sense i mean so this comes back to that conversation that we were having a few episodes ago about arm it's not all about apple no right like a lot of the arm conversation is focused around apple microsoft are going to have a harder time with it because their partnerships with existing companies like Intel mm-hmm. and AMD to a, an element, but mostly Intel, that's a harder thing to unravel. And like they're going to have to really walk the line carefully in the, how they, they manage this. But there are other opportunities available for a new wave of portable computing yeah. that basically is being informed by tablet devices, right? So like, and, and phones, you know, like these chips, the ARM chips are what power phones. They power they power tablets by Apple and some other companies. They're more power efficient. They're more mobile focused. They and they're getting more powerful at a faster rate than desktop chips are getting. Oh, more efficient, right? By a lot. So this is like the next wave of computing, which is being pushed forward by these devices. And so it's like this funny thing where. This whole conversation for years has been like, can an iPad replace my laptop? I'm saying, well, maybe, but I think as we're moving forward, that's going to become less important as your laptops become more like iPads under the hood. But that's okay as the software's there to back it up. And it really seems like both Apple and Microsoft now are making concerted efforts into making that future more of a reality. 